We are in the book of 2 Timothy. Oh, people sometimes ask what makes Lynchburg City Church unique. I, I love going book by book, verse by verse, um, squeezing out the truth of this story. Love it. Love it. So we are in part four. This is, this is the fourth sermon that I'm about to preach in 2 Timothy. And to kind of set it up for you, remember the Apostle Paul, he is writing this story, this letter is known as his last will and testament. Shortly after he writes this, he will be executed. Okay, So it's a very somber tone that's being struck right away. He's writing this sometime between 65 and 67 AD from a Roman dungeon. And he's writing this letter to a man named Timothy. He knows him very very personally, very, he's very close to Timothy. He's been Timothy's mentor. He's mentored Timothy. He's discipled Timothy. Uh, Timothy, right now, he's a, he's a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. That's modern-day Western Turkey. And despite the just awful circumstances that Paul finds himself in, the discouraging circumstances, this letter really is a call uh, for Timothy to encourage Timothy to persevere in the faith. If, if you like taking notes, that's the theme of the story. It is, it's a call to persevere in the faith despite suffering. And so that's where we pick up today. In chapter 2, verse 1, part 4 begins right now. You then, my child, referring to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then. Uh, this is another way to say this is as for you or therefore. So when he says you, then, he's, he's saying therefore, therefore what? It's, it's like a bridge in the construction of the sentence. He's pointing back to what he just finished talking about in the prior section, specifically last week. And as we learned last week, not only is Paul about to die, not only is he in a Roman dungeon, but people very close to him have left him. They've just left. Many people. He names two of them by name because it was apparently common knowledge, but Phagellus and Hermogenes, they've just left. To the extent of their abandonment, whether they also left the faith, we, we don't know. It's unclear. But they left him. And standing in contrast with Phagellus and Hermogenes is one Onesphorus. I'm thankful for Onesphorus-like people. I really am. That... Love my soul. You know the type of people, they're refreshing and they're encouraging and they're with you and hugging you when you're crying your eyes out and praying for you. And this Onesphorus stands in direct contrast with the Asians, with Phagellus and Hermogenes who left him. And remember Onesphorus who searched for Paul earnestly. Apparently wherever Paul is at in this Roman dungeon, it's unclear exactly. Uh, it's it's difficult to find, and so he had to search for him earnestly. Onesphorus is not someone who will love you when it's convenient, like he is there, and he's this amazing example for the young Timothy. So when he says, you then, my child Timothy, he's, he's referring back, he's pointing back, he's referencing back to the amazing example that Onesphorus had been. Timothy's behavior was to not be like Phagellus and Hermogenes. 
Timothy's behavior was to be like that of Onesiphorus. And so he's just kind of con- connecting the links in, in these verses together. And so he says, you then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened. The word strengthened here in the original language is a present passive imperative. Now, if you're sitting here and you don't know what that means, that's okay. I wasn't good at English either. But present passive imperative. What, what he's saying here is this word strengthen is implying that Timothy is to keep on being empowered. To keep on being strengthened. It is and reveals a certain necessity for God. It reveals and shows a need for continual strengthening, continual sustainment, lest we ever think that somehow we got it going on and we don't need God. Now that would be a terrible mistake. It would. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In the person of Jesus Christ alone. Those words rang true 500 years ago, just as true today. We're saved by grace, right? We're, we're saved not because we, we're awesome. We're saved because Jesus is awesome. And, and Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. He paid the price we couldn't afford to pay. And while we're saved by grace alone, there is another grace, a sustaining grace, which we also need. We need a sustaining grace or perhaps said more eloquently by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't wasted on me. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I worked my tail off, but at the end of the day, the fact that I'm standing here right now, the fact that some of you made it through this week, some of you didn't have a good week. Some of you hasn't been a good month. I haven't had a very good week. Some of the fact that you're even here right now is, is a miracle. Like, I wonder why, how I'm even here right now. Sustaining grace. You might not have known that, but that's the reason why. Timothy, I want you to be strengthened or to continue being strengthened, to continue needing and relying upon God's sustaining grace in your life. Why? Because it's about to get very difficult. Verse 2 is now going to introduce to us the necessity, the, the need, the situation at hand. Why Paul is saying, Timothy, you just like, like a sponge soak up that sustaining grace. Verse 2. Verse 2 is going to introduce the need. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is discipleship, at least in one regard. This is this idea of training another generation of Christians. 
And so he makes this reference here, this reference to witnesses. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now, in verse 13, earlier on, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. And and so here's another connection between verse 13 and chapter 2, where he says, the words that you've heard from me, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. No doubt Barnabas probably would have been included here. His mom, his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, as well as other Christian leaders. Here's the point. The things that he has taught Timothy, it's, it's publicly acknowledged. It's publicly acknowledged and verifiable. In other words, it wasn't just Paul only telling Timothy, but other people were around. They heard the things that Paul was teaching. They, they acknowledge it or they can verify its authenticity. It's legit. It's trustworthy statements. Right? It wasn't something I just found on Wikipedia. These, these witnesses acknowledge and can verify these things that he has taught him. It's trustworthy. And that's important. And so he says, Timothy, what you've heard from me. So he's been teaching Timothy things. He's been pouring at Timothy. And now he wants Timothy to take the things that has been entrusted to him and pass it off to others. To entrust it to others. John MacArthur tells a story which I think is helpful in aiding the understanding of this passage. He was at a track meet when he was in college. He was running the 4 by 1600 I'm not sure if that's an event. Is that an event? The one mile? One mile relay? Okay, I got a couple of people who nodded. First guy up on his team runs the first a quarter of the mile, pretty good pace. Passes the baton to MacArthur. MacArthur runs it. Pretty decent pace. Passes the baton to the third guy, who, by the way, is the fastest guy in the team. The third guy starts off running and then stops abruptly, walks off the track onto the infield and sit down. MacArthur, his teammates, they're horrified. They're super concerned like that he's got some serious injury and they run over to him to check on him and they ask him, like, what's going on? Like, are you hurt? Like, what's up? He's like... I just didn't feel like running anymore. Are you sure you're not hurt? Like, uh, And they say, he just says, I just didn't feel like running anymore. You can imagine the frustration, just how upset like they would have been. Like, Because it's not like it's your event. Like This affects your teammates. Like This affects your coach. This affects your school. Like This, this affects more than just you. How selfish. How selfish. Right? Selfish. Oftentimes we, we make the mistake of thinking that our Christian lives are lived in such a way that we're just lone ranger Christians. Maybe we don't say those words, but that we're just lone ranger Christians. Okay? I'm not going to ever become a part of a church. Just warm a pew. Keep people at a distance. Check in, check out. Don't talk to me too long in the lobby because, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too close, right? And so we're these lone ranger Christians and we think that that somehow is how it's supposed to work. It's not how it's supposed to work. And so we see this apathy of this teammate. I think it's important. I don't think Timothy has reached that point of defection yet, but I think he's being tempted. 
Which is why, back in part two of this series, he says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Like Timothy, God's given you gifts. At one point, you had a zeal and passion for the Lord. That fire is burnt down now just to wee little embers, and you need to get back in the game. You're on the sidelines. God's given you gift. He hasn't saved you so you can just live a comfortable, easy Christian life. He's saved you, and he called you to a holy calling. So come on, man. Get with the program. I think he's being tempted to a certain degree. In other words, Timothy, this isn't your ministry. Lynchburg City Church is not Joe Decreon's church. It really annoys me. Sometimes people don't mean anything, but they're like, oh yeah, that's Joe Decreon's church. I'm like, it's not Joe Decreon's church. That's God's church. It's not my church. If you're a member here, this is your church. You're part of this. You're a Christian? Awesome. You love Jesus? That's wonderful. But you're not... Don't make any mistake that you're somehow running this race called the Christian life alone. You're not. And more to the point, you have no right to quit. You have no right to stop running like the teammate on MacArthur's track team. Like, you don't. Until the Lord decides to take you home, it's not your call to make. Say, yes it is. It's my time. I can do with my time whatever I want to. It's not your time. It's God's time. No Lone Rangers. Timothy is been given this command, right? Paul, he's been entrusted with the truth, no doubt the truth of the gospel, as well as other truths. He's passed it on to Timothy. He wants Timothy to pass on that to others. No doubt, I mean, you think about it, this guy knows he's probably coming to the end of his life and he wants to make sure other Christians and generations are raised up, that people are being discipled and poured into. And so, it's a call to all of us. Are you doing that? You're not running this race alone. There's... Someone passing you the baton, and there's someone you should be passing the baton to. You should. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so Jesus saved me, so I can just coast or float. Says who? Selfish. You know, you get saved at summer camp, and well, I'm good to go, right? I got my, my free ticket. That's awesome. And then I'll let someone else pick up the slack. No. Wrong answer. Maybe that's not what we want to hear. That's the truth. We're called to help others to keep going as well. Maybe they're not even, maybe they're, maybe they're not even, uh, older than us or younger than us, but we help other people to get caught up. We help them in their spiritual journey to love Jesus and obey Jesus. He says, I want to entrust this to you. And we talked about the word entrust. It is literally making this deposit, giving someone something valuable. And in the ancient world, one of the highest regards of respect and just honor, um, just cultural uh, uh, propriety was to return that thing, to, to hold on to it, keeping it safe. This is really, if I had to bring up words like to describe this verse, it's spiritual reproduction, like discipling younger dudes, pouring into younger girls, like maybe not even, like I said, physically younger than you, but just they're not far as far along as you are in the faith. We're supposed to be doing that. William Barclay 
comments, the teacher is a link in the living chain which stretches from this present moment back to Jesus. The glory of teaching is that it links the present with the earthly life of Jesus. So Jesus teaches his disciples. Jesus teaches Paul. Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy, the early church fathers, Ignatius, um, Polycarp, Augustine. We go down the line, right? There's Wycliffe. There's Luther. There's Calvin and Whitfield and Edwards and Piper and Emmerich and Decreon and, and so on and so forth. This is important. Not that you just absorb the information, right? It's, oh, that's good news, right? And then just go sit down on the infield. You have a baton to pass off. Many of us don't. Many people often just try to do the absolute bare minimum. Like my old friend, Nate. Nate, uh, remember he came, and I, you probably, some of you guys have heard this story many times, but he, he, Nate comes and he says, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I'm very thankful for that fact. However, if I can be a D-minus Christian and still get to heaven, why make the effort and exert the strength to try to be an A-plus Christian? So many people have the attitude of Nate. It's just, I want to do the bare minimum. I want to do the bare minimum for Jesus. Let other people do it. Let other people pick up the slack. It is perhaps the most selfish attitude of all. When you contemplate the fact that there are people going to hell. People in this room, perhaps. People on your dorm, your, your group of friends, and, and, and you're not even like, some of you, just whatever. And so he says, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now you may remember back in part 2 of this series, back in verse 8 specifically, where he tells Timothy to share in suffering. Here it is again. He mentioned in verse 8, he's mentioning it here in verse 3 of chapter 2. You think it might be important, right? He's now mentioned it twice in the first two chapters? I think so. I want to pay attention to that. Share in suffering as a good soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier. I like sharing things, guys. Popcorn at the movies or whoever has the candy that's decided to pay exorbitant prices. I want to sit next to that person. I want to share that. But, but suffering? I don't want to share in suffering. That's uncomfortable. But he calls him to, like a soldier. You're a sailor. You guys don't know I'm an army chaplain, so I would be, I'm a soldier. Um, being in the military is, uh, I don't know, not always fun. I could say not mostly fun, but that's probably not English, but, right? Uh, it's not the typical, okay, nine to five job, and then, oh, well, I had to stay after 30 minutes, but that's okay, because I get overtime. I get time and a half. Uh, overtime doesn't exist in the military. No such thing as overtime. You work seven days a week? Cool, good for you. Get ready to do it again next week. Uh, it's, it's hard. I, a couple times I've been on active duty. It's, okay, uh, you can leave this weekend, um, but you can't drive farther than 50 miles. And if you want to get special permission, you can, but you can only have a 250-mile pass. And by the way, have your cell phone on you at any minute because you could get called back and your whole weekend's interrupted. 
So share in suffering as a, as a good soldier. At any moment, my phone literally could go off and they could say, you've got 60 days, get ready, you're going to South Korea or wherever. Being a soldier is the opposite of convenience. It's the opposite of easy. It's uh, difficult. And then on top of that, yeah, people try to kill you. Sharing, suffering, like these are radical things that he's saying as a good soldier. But it's not anything new. Jesus himself says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So many times, our approach to Christianity is, I want to do the bare minimum. And that looks like a lot of different things, right? So maybe some of you, the only time you open your Bible is when you come on Sunday. And the only reason you come on Sunday is because mom or dad are going to check up on you and just make sure that you, quote unquote, went to church. And oftentimes, that's, that's it. Like I do the bare minimum. We don't need any more Christians in this world trying to do the bare minimum. We don't. Paul wants Timothy to embrace Brace the suck, as we would say in the army. Be ready to do that. For have you not heard that it was said, through many tribulations, one must enter the kingdom of God? Not through much ease, much comfort, lots of prosperity, no bumps along the way, you'll enter the kingdom of God. Quite the opposite, according to Acts 14.22. Through many, many tribulations. It's hard, it's difficult, it's not fun. People say, is it fun being, you know, in the army? Not usually, just being honest. It seems, given the fact and a couple sermons ago, that Timothy had maybe a, a reluctance, a timidity, a, a fear in which I don't know how clear it was that he was maybe up for the challenge. And that's the case for a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians. That's also... That's our approach, especially within America. And so he says, share in suffering. And it begins to make sense why in verse 1 he said, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, because you're going to need it. You're going to need sustaining grace to get you through, some of you, the rest of the week, because something's about to happen and it's going to just rock your world. And you're going to need every ounce of that. So we come to verse 4. And he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And it, it brings up a great question. And the question is, What's your deepest desire? I like this question. It oftentimes reveals a lot about a person. Even right now, when you think about that, what, what do I, what's, what's like my number one desire? My number one desire. What's my deepest desire? Some of you, you would say, my deepest desire is to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to worship Jesus, to treasure Jesus above all else. That's a miracle, one, if you're able to say that. But others of you, you're not. Maybe that wasn't the first thing that even popped into your mind. Like, what's my deepest desire? Like, if those things aren't your deepest desire, it's entirely possible, very possible, that you're not a Christian. 
For I, I can't contemplate someone who says, I'm a Christian, but I really love and desire something other than Jesus. That person biblically doesn't exist. What's your deepest desire? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What is your aim? What is your deepest desire? Is it to serve and love and obey and treasure Jesus Christ above all else? Or is it something else? It can't be something else. It can't. And so he wants Timothy to have this zeal, this passion, that the the soldier would for his commander. Right? He wants wants him to have this passion, this type of commitment to the Lord, in pleasing the Lord, in in pleasing the commander. Timothy desired all, excuse me, Paul desired all Christians to live this way. He says, don't, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Now let me clarify this. It's not a call or prohibition against marriage, nor an appeal to escape worldliness. The emphasis is on tangled, right? Don't be entangled in civilian pursuits. Okay? Don't be entangled in that. And, and this idea of being entangled is really a reflection and an evaluation for us to be able to distinguish doing good things and doing the best things. Doing good things, doing the best things. And we face that every week. You have 168 hours in your week. 112 hours in your week if you take eight hours a night for sleep, but you can use whatever equation you want. And so many Christians, it just blows my mind how content they are with giving Jesus, like, I don't know, 2% of their time. Right? Or 3.5% technically uh, of the 112 hours if I come to service on Sunday and if I, I, you know, I'm a part of a small group during the week. Like, I'm just amazed. How many Christians are just so okay with giving the Lord so very little? This idea of just doing the minimum. Paul wants Timothy to have that aim as a soldier would to please the one who enlisted him as commander, right? Doesn't want the command. He wants to please the commander. He wants to serve the commander. He's like, I want you to have that type of love and zeal and passion for the Lord and your commitment to him. Don't be entangled in civilian pursuits. It's not that civilian pursuits are bad. Okay, they're, they're not. But this ability to distinguish between good things and the best thing. Every day we're faced with this, right? It's not that things we do are necessarily sins, but this, well, do I study or do I read my Bible? And I'm not sure it has to be like one or the other. But that's often our approach, right? With our time. Doing, doing good things, doing the best things. And we get entangled. We get entangled by, and we, we don't really need much help. I mean, just between the internet and 4GE LTV networks and uh, the apps on our you know, our phone or TV, school, relationships. It's not that even some of those things are bad things, but this call, like, don't get entangled, right? Don't get entangled. Don't get sucked in. And then we do. And it keeps us 
from persevering in our faith. It keeps us from running that leg of the race. It keeps us from pleasing and serving, right? The commander, the way that we, we ought to. It really is this idea of not getting entangled in civilian pursuits is a call to have the right priorities. There are good things and then there are really good things. Some of you, it amazes me, just not just your love for the Lord, your love for His Word, your love for other people. And I mean, uh, it, it just encourages my soul. And then other people, it's, well, they have an excuse for everything. For why they can't. Why they can't. Don't get entangled. Have the right priorities. Distinguish between doing good things and doing the best things. And he comes to verse 5 and he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. But the implication is, there is a crown, there is a prize, that this hard Christian life that we're called to, it's not in vain, it's not pointless. At the very least, I would say that this ultimate prize comes at the time of final judgment, 2 Corinthians 5.10. But it is hard. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The word compete here, it means to contest, to contend, to wrestle, to struggle. It's very much energy and effort. And so many of us, not interested, right? I I want the, the easy Christian life with the lollipops and the butterflies and the cotton candies. And sharing suffering? No, I don't think so. I'll pass on that. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And there's so many wimpy Christians today. We don't need more wimpy Christians. We need determined Christians. We need persistent Christians who are willing to persevere in their faith. Not as a matter of, huh, look at me, but as a matter of, man... His grace toward me was not in vain. And if it was not for His grace, like I wouldn't be able to wake up tomorrow. MacArthur tells another story, which I thought was really appropriate. He's watching a decathlon meet between the U.S., Poland, and the former USSR. He knows one of the coaches on the team. And so he says, who do you think is the best athlete here? And the, one of the American coaches says, oh, that guy over there. I mean, this guy, I mean, he looks like the stud. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what you'd expect him to say. And he says, well, how bad do you expect him to, like, win today? And he says, win? Um, I don't expect him to win. So MacArthur's a little thrown off, right, by why he would say that. He says, actually, I think that guy over there is going to win. He's like, that guy? But you just said that's probably the most talented guy here on the field. He's like, yes, but that guy wants it more. That guy's hungry. That guy's determined. That guy is going to persevere no matter how difficult it's going to get. And sure enough, he won that day. And two years later, he won the gold medal. His name was Bruce Jenner. Obviously, this is not a spiritual competition against other Christians. Okay, Don't lose the illustration. But an athlete is not given the prize unless he competes according to the rules. He's not crowned unless he contends. And the point here is that even though Jenner, the coach said, he's like, I don't think he's the best, but he is the most determined. He is the most persistent. That's really, this 
This is just what the story is about, right? It's a call to persevere in our faith despite suffering, despite things being hard for us as Christians, because they are hard. They're really hard. Like, break down and cry hard. And so many people just aren't willing to contend. They don't care. They'd rather coast. They'd rather float. They're not willing to contend. They're not willing to struggle. They want the easy life as the Christian. There's rules. There aren't shortcuts. So he comes to verse 6. And he says, It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. First century world, this hard-working farmer, they were usually paid, often paid, with a portion of the crops. He says, the hard-working farmer, that guy, he ought to have the first share of the crops. So he's got this idea, right? Persevering in the faith, really needing and continuing to need and continuing to be strengthened by God's sustaining grace. And then he gives the reasons why, right? We have the soldier suffering, we have the athlete contending and wrestling. And we have the hard-working farmer. He's a hard-working farmer. He's industrious. He works his tail off. He doesn't wait. I think this is important. The hard-working farmer, he doesn't wait until it's convenient or he feels like it. He doesn't do that. Many of us, well... I'll start getting a little bit more involved in church instead of just kind of warming the pews on Sunday. I'll, start, I'll actually, be, maybe I'll make that commitment, you know, later on when it's just works better with my schedule. I saw an, an article, and some of you have probably heard this from Gospel Coalition a month ago. It said, finding a good church is easy. Committing to one is hard. It's hard. Committing to one. Right? Or, you know, I'll start exercising, you know, when I feel motivated. I'm on my treadmill every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'll tell you, about 90% of the time, I have zero motivation, but I know that i got to get on there. And if I wait until I feel like it, it's never going to happen. Some of you, that's your approach, right? I'm going to read my Bible today. I don't really feel like it. Guess the Holy Spirit didn't show up today. I'll try tomorrow. That's, that's your approach for many people. When I, when it's convenient for me, when I feel motivated, then I'll take the next step. Then I'll get back and run the race. Then I'll pass off the baton. The hard-working farmer does not wait for it to be convenient or for him to be motivated. And the reason is, is because the seasons don't wait for him. The seasons don't wait. He can't wait. There's a sense of urgency. And winter is coming, regardless of whether he's prepared for it, whether he wants it to come, it's on its way. Persevering in the faith requires commitment, not convenience. If you're waiting until you feel like it, you'll wait a very long time, and you'll waste so much of your life. And I did much of my time as both an undergrad and graduate student. I did. Redeem the time. 
Redeem the time for as long as you can. You keep running the race as long as you can until he takes you home. And some of you, you haven't started off well at all. You really haven't. But be encouraged. Remember Dr. Falwell. I got to hear him basically every week for my first two years at Liberty. He died right at the end of my sophomore year. And he would say, you know, a good start, that's eh, okay. But how you finish, that matters a whole lot. So be encouraged. Some of you, man, this maybe is unpleasant what you're hearing. Okay? Well, then change. Repent. Get up off the infield. Pick up the baton and start running. Paul has been entrusted with something so precious, so valuable. He's then given it to Timothy, right? He's mentoring, he's making disciples, he's pouring into Timothy, and now he calls Timothy to do the same to others. One of the final wishes of a man who's about to be executed. And so the question is, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to guard this good deposit? Are you willing to pass it off to others, to entrust it to others? Are you content with not sharing your faith, not making disciples, not pointing to people, not persevering in your faith, just coasting, just floating? I hope not. Are you just going to let other people pick up the slack for you because you've decided to stop running and sit on the infield like that crazy teammate of MacArthur's? Some of you, honestly, you've already done that. Some of you, you guys are, are amazing. You're like, you're passing the baton off to multiple people. You're pouring into people, loving people, discipling people, sharing your faith, pursuing and persevering in your faith, even though times get crazy or hard. You're an encouragement, I think, to my, not just myself, but others. But for those of you who aren't that, just get up. Pray, God, change my desires. I don't, I don't have a desire to, to persevere in my faith. I, I kind of have been trying to do like minimum, bare minimum possible. Like, I know that's wrong, but I don't, I don't have that motivation. God, change me. Like, help me. And then stand up. Sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, I just didn't feel like reading my Bible. Just maybe try opening it. It's like the idea of saying, well, I didn't get your phone call. I'm upset I didn't get your phone call, right? Well, try turning your phone on. Try opening your Bible. Persevere in the faith. It will be hard. It will be difficult. Like a soldier. Like an athlete. Like the farmer. It will be inconvenient at times. I mean, I don't think it was very convenient for Onisphorus, as we saw last week. He's having to earnestly look. In, in a city he may not be familiar with, to find Paul, in a time where it's very unpopular for Christians to even be in Rome. So cowboy up. Persevere in your faith. Not because you're awesome and you can do it on your own, but because there is sustaining grace available to you. That's the good news. The good news is you're not being called to do something that you're not able to do. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. 
And we join with St. Augustine as he prayed so many centuries ago. Lord, command what you will and give what you command. You've commanded us to live in such a way to persevere in our faith. I pray that you would enable us to do it, to do what you've asked, to be like Timothy, to be like Onesphorus, to be like Paul. God, help some of us just to get off our tails and, and, and start running again. So many of us, we've just sat down like this, minim, this minimalistic version of Christianity that somehow we've just embraced. Lord, set us free from those thoughts and help us, God. Sustain us with your grace to be able to share in suffering as a good soldier. It will be hard, Lord. But I gotta think, if your grace was enough to save us, then surely it will be enough to sustain us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.